Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, Just me and Stan for the minute. All you gym fanboys slash fangirls slash whatever. You can't say out these days, can you? Well, no, you can't. Just, just, just they them. Yeah, whatever. But no, listen. Anyway, just relax because Jim has got a life outside of this podcast. Yeah, he's had to go to holiday and right. he's just stocking his fridge. He'll be on in ten minutes, so chill, stick around, and he'll be here. Yeah, be patient. That's all we ask. Be patient. That's all we're asking. Yeah. And a team who was patient at the weekend cup was Arsenal. It nice took. Segue that. Thank you very much. It took until the second half for the deadlock to be broken, and it finished one 0 with a goal from. Gabriel from a Saka corner uh, that went through everybody. Um, talk us through the Chelsea performance and perspective in this game. Toothless, Stan. Very toothless, in my opinion. And uh, a squad that's a little thin on the ground at the minute, especially in central midfield. And, and not to make the excuses, but we was on about it in the, in the pub the other day. Injuries have really taken its toll on our squad. And we worked it out with probably about six starters that are missing. And if you take six starters out of any team, then... Obviously, they're gonna not be a hundred percent, and that's just that's just logical. And we need to reinvigorate the squad in January. I know that sounds mad, given we've spent the most money we've ever spent in any window prior to this. But we do need to spend more money. Uh, Potter's not actually had a transfer window yet, which I think a few people forget. And I think people are a bit too just they jump the gun a bit on Potter saying, "Oh, because some pundits saying like, oh, they might even sack him," you know this season that's just not going to happen we nearly spent 20 million getting him and his staff out of the contracts for a long term vision we're not going to we're not going to pull the trigger but yeah very toothless I thought in this game um, yeah a little thin on the ground yeah. at the minute but no excuses I thought the performance was poor and the players that we have in our deep squad in other positions didn't perform yeah in my opinion yeah I agree with you I think uh, toothless is the word and I think you just lack any creativity really but as you've said key injuries you look at I mean Reese James and Ben Chilwell are two massive losses we know how important wing backs are in Chelsea's system no matter no matter the manager we've seen it from you know Tuchel going back to Conte years ago as soon as he started doing that so two I mean goal threats as well at one point under Tuchel last season weren't wasn't Alonso and James two of your top scorers at one point so massive misses obviously you've got Kante Kovacic wasn't fit enough to start you've got Koulibaly and Fafana who could play either side of Thiago then aren't starting Kepa's first choice and he didn't start so like you say a massive a massive group of players uh, missing for Chelsea uh, and you could tell as well the performance wasn't good no matter where you look at it um, there was nothing really there there wasn't even that fight that you'd want considering it's a derby and it was a game where if Arsenal won which they ended up doing uh, they end up you know, going top of the top of the league, uh, which they did. Uh, there wasn't even that fight from Chelsea to stop them doing that. So I thought even when it went one 0 Arsenal, we didn't see a lot from from Chelsea to even fight back. Despite obviously subs being made with Brozier and uh, was it Kovacic coming on the pitch as well and and Conor Gallagher. So it it is how it is for Chelsea. It's a game they've got a tough one next with Newcastle, which we'll we'll cover next week before obviously the World Cup starts. But I think for Arsenal, like I say. Going to Stamford Bridge, it's not a happy hunting ground. Uh, winning, uh, keeping a clean sheet as well, you know, despite all of the the circumstances. I just think the context of the game, uh, with even with City scoring late on that last minute penalty, the pressure that that puts on you again to have to go and win at Chelsea and not just draw to go top is is huge. And Arsenal responded really well again. And I think the character that they showed in this game was was evident, and the mentality and attitude of the team has massively changed. Even seeing. 
you know, it kicking off at Shaka at the end and, and, you know, rightly or wrongly, all the other Arsenal players coming in and backing him up. That is just something that we haven't seen from Arsenal teams for the last decade or so. They've been able to be bullied and they put this Arsenal team looks really together, really strong. Uh, and they have been lucky with injuries. I mean, it's the opposite of Chelsea. I look at that Arsenal eleven. They've had a couple missing. I think Party's missed a couple of games. Zinchenko's missed, but in the main, Smithrow. Saka. Yeah, but in the main, Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, and Jesus have started every single game this season when they've needed them. So and been th- rested in Europe. And been rested in Europe, and they've, they've topped the group in that with a pretty you know nice Europa League group in the end. So uh, I think the only game Saka came off for was Forest, and they ended up winning five 0 And I think they were winning when he came off anyway. So. They've been fortunate with injuries. We'll see how it is after the World Cup. But I mean, you've got to give credit to Arsenal if they do end up going into the World Cup break, top of the table. I don't think anybody, even you know, Mikel Arteta and the most ardent Arsenal fans, would have honestly, you know, seriously predicted that. Um, so, fair play to Arsenal. They look brilliant. They stuck with Arteta and he's built a squad that is is right now, as of you know today, top of the table in the Premier League with one game to go until Qatar. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, Arsenal, let's not get it twisted. Um, Arsenal deserved all three points. 1-0 was a flattering score. I'm not saying they, they battered us, but they just went about the performance a lot more business-like and a lot more streetwise than we did. Like I said, one shot on target at home is just never acceptable when you're a big club like us. It's that, And, and that's the, the bench line for playing for a massive club like that that's just yeah. not acceptable and like I said with the plethora of players we've got in other positions regardless of centre midfield there's no excuses for one shot on target and I think like I said the, the World Cup has come at a great time for Chelsea I think this will be the main I want, I want to say it's the main turning point in the, in the season for a lot of teams I think we was on about it earlier today. United could definitely, we'll speak about them, but they could definitely use the World Cup alongside us. I think for teams like Arsenal and City, it's a massive going, hindrance because yeah. momentum is an absolute monster and Klopp said it himself and it's true because momentum in this league is everything because look at what Liverpool did the year they finished on 99 points and didn't win it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's splitting airs at times. Yeah, it is. But no, really, really important win for Arsenal, and 100%. you know, top of the table going into the last game before Qatar. So it couldn't really get any sunnier, any rosier for Arsenal fans at the moment. Welcome back, listeners. That music can only mean one thing. It is, of course, the bet of the week. So betting apps at the ready and get the bet of the week on because we are due a winner. It's the last weekend of footy before the World Cup, before we give you our Degeneration Bets Part 2 episode pre-World Cup. More on that in the pipeline. Keep an eye on our socials. But first and foremost, I'm going to tell you how to win some money before you put your eyes on this World Cup in Qatar that nobody's bloody happy with, are they, Stan? Was that the fat bastard? Where did he come from? Oh, then? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, he come back, it was Gary Neville. Oh. No, it wasn't, it wasn't. We'll talk We'll talk about that as well. We will. But the bet of the week, as it stands, is we've got Bournemouth-Everton in the three o'clock. So we've got both teams to score a result. Bournemouth in that one. I think Everton are due an L away from home. And then Bournemouth are smashing it, to be fair, at the minute. They're picking up goals in unlikely places, Stan. Then we're going to move over to Liverpool versus Southampton. The feel-good factor will be at Liverpool. FSG's put them up for sale. They'll yeah. probably win a game to nil in this one, I think. Salah and the rest of the boys are going to put on a clinic before Qatar and I think Liverpool to nil in this one then we're going to move down Tottenham Hotspur versus Leeds I have gone for both teams to score no draw in this one Stan 
versus uh, Spuds versus Leeds. And then last but not least, I have gone for Newcastle versus Chelsea at St. James's Park. I've gone for over 2.5 goals in that one. So just to recap the bet of the week, Bournemouth versus Everton, Bournemouth both teams to score a result. Liverpool, Southampton, Liverpool to nil. Tottenham versus Leeds, both teams to score no draw. And then Newcastle, Chelsea, over 2.5. And Stan, what can the listeners do with that information? They can shove it up the rackers, baby. Good evening, everybody. And it is that time where we have to talk about Man United because Stan had his crystal ball out on last Monday's pod where he said, Cook, I wouldn't be surprised if we had our own Brighton result and we've got Villa away at the weekend. So, Stan, take it from here. Yeah, we lost 3-1. 2-0 uh, down after about, I think it was about 20 minutes or something stupid. United started really slowly uh, and Villa started really quickly, which is to be expected when it's, it's Emery. I really rate Emery anyway, but when it's a new manager at all and you're at home against United in your first game, the crowd and the players are all going to be absolutely up for it and that they were uh, Leon Bailey and uh, Dina scoring in the first like I say 20, 20 minute 30 minute to pretty much put the, the game to bed with how United actually played in the first half despite us going in 2-1 uh, at the break um, I thought Ten Hag got it wrong to be honest I thought he should have uh, with Bruno being out you're going away from home in the Prem against like I say a team that was always going to be up for it to go with Van Der Beek and Eriksen as two as your three you know you're going to get bullied simple as that um, he should have put Fred on McTominay next to Casemiro and pushed Ericsson into Bruno's role, really. But, you know, Cook spoke, spoke about it before. There's injuries and, you know, three key injuries for United there is, is Varane's experience missing. Um, Bruno, you know, who for me is still our best player, still our most important player. He leads the press. He leads everything. He mithers a ref, which, you know, does people's head in. But it's important for a team to have that leader in the middle of the pitch and, and starting for you. And, you know, he is quality. He can score a goal, get an assist at any moment, which we've seen since he signed. And Anthony was a massive miss as well, because again, that, the aggression that him and Bruno bring to that press from the front and just the balance he brings being a left footer off the right, it it killed us. It meant Rashford had to go on the right, which he, it just isn't his position. He's been our best forward this season. For some reason, he didn't play him off the left. He could have just stuck Garnacho on the right, really, and seen what he could do, but still have Rashford off the left. Ronaldo is Ronaldo, and, you know, less said about him, the better, but I hope that's his last game, if not one of his last games for United. And, yeah, he got he got it wrong. I think even with the changes in the game, I think being so lucky after that first half performance to only be a goal behind, I think you've got to take Ronaldo and, and Van der Beek off there and then you've got to chuck Fred on for that, that energy and you've got to bring Martial on as well and put Rashford on the, on the left and, and he didn't do any of those things. He he kept the same uh, 11, went into the second half and before you know it, we were 3-1 down. So, Big issue for Ten Hag, although saying that he did have one hand tied behind his back with the injuries that we had that, you know, caused massive issues to balance and, and just the overall drive of the team. I think, you know, you take Bruno Eriksson out that front four, then, you know, you, you, you lose a lot of not only quality, but that aggression and that passion, which people don't like that word, but it's important, especially in a game where the other team's going to be so up for it. But, you know, not the end of the world, although I, I did say before I saw... Uh, well, when I saw the 11, that there was no chance United were winning that game. I'd have taken a point before kick-off and, and you know, I, I was right. And like Cook said, I said that, you know, United, I think, hadn't lost from that City game. We'd, we'd won uh, six out of eight and drawn two or something like that. And they were Newcastle and Chelsea. And I think we had five out of our last six games were clean sheets. But 
you know, with us being in transition, with us being, you know, having the injuries we have and, and you know, playing three games a week, Cook mentioned again, United are a team now that need the World Cup with the key injuries that we've got. And, and you know, a, a result like this was coming. I didn't think it'd be as soon as, as I said last week, but, you know, we were always going to, you know, you're going to beat Liverpool, you beat Arsenal, you beat Spurs and you're going to go away to Villa and lose 3-1 because that's what happens when your team's in transition. You're so vulnerable to the point, like I said, we're literally two of two key players. You can get away with Varane because I think Lindelof and Maguire are suitable deputies, but I think when you lose Bruno, you lose Anthony. You know, t- literally losing two of your two players outfield like that when you're in such a fragile state with your, you know, where you are as a team, it, it can really ruin everything yeah. and that it did, but... Uh, I'll let you two talk about Villa, although I will say that I, I do think Emery is an incredibly smart pickup by them. I think Newcastle wanted him. Uh, he didn't want to go there. Uh, he's done really well for Sevilla in the past. He did decent for PSG. Uh, didn't do any less than any other manager, Tuchel, Pochettino, any of them have done. Yeah. Winning the league and, and, you know, not winning the Champions League, uh, but also at Villarreal as well. It was his Villarreal that beat Solskjaer's United in the Europa League, winning their first trophy ever. So, yeah, really good pick-up by Villa, I think. Yeah, dead smart, really, because it was it was the next logical choice, really. Sevilla, Villarreal, yeah. Aston Villa, yes. good evening. Yes. Nah, we should have seen it coming, really, but... No, credit where credit's due. I think when United well, you don't... You some double chance, didn't you? I did. So I you should... did half see it coming. Yeah, I, I see. I was umming and ahhing about the... It was 8-13 to 13 double chance, but I was like, oh, I don't know. You said. As soon as you said about United... Yeah, we weren't winning. I anyway, so. sorry. But, back, back to Villa. Yeah, but I, I, I just think when United play without Bruno, he's the playmaker. He's the guy that everything runs through. He sets the tempo at times. He... He just does everything for them. And when he doesn't play, it's it's a massive gap. And that's where other players have to pick up his slack. And in this game, obviously, they, they didn't do that. But credit where credit's due with Aston Villa. It's good to see Luca Digne scoring and being effective in the final third again because he's a player who I do like. And I think he could definitely play at a top club given the fact he's been at Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain prior to going to Everton. Roma now, as well. Now Aston Villa. Oh, yeah, yeah, Roma as well. But yeah, credit where credit's due with Villa. I think Emery's a great signing. He's got pedigree with trophies. And I think Villa fans were a bit over-ambitious thinking they can get Tuchel and uh, Pochettino. I think they're in a, in a seriously elite club bracket. And I think they've just had to be a bit more streetwise, Jim. I don't know what you think, but in going for maybe a... A, a drop down in yeah. Emery and go into that second bracket and manage. Do you think maybe. Emery's the best that they probably could have got realistically? And, and I, honest, I, honestly, it sounds mad because I'm picking him up so much, but I didn't think they could get Emery. So the fact that they've gone and got Emery off of the reality, rejected Newcastle, and we've seen how well they've done. They went and got Eddie Arwa's second choice. So uh, yeah, really impressed. I think it's. I, I do think it's really, really smart. He'll do well there. Yeah, they might. It might be a case of he shot for the uh, moon and landed on the stars. Um, Emery. Um, Obviously, last last season as well, he only got out to the Champions League by Liverpool in the semi final or something like that. Yeah, um, it's it's one of the things I go. He's, he's said it a lot in the Premier League, but the the attraction of the Premier League and some of the, the top managers, it just gets better and better every year. And I think upgrading Gerard to Emery is is another string in the league's bow. Where like like you you could have ten like elite managers in the Premier League, which. Is great for the league, great for Villa. Um, my question will be, well, what is the aim when you're at Villa? It's kind of hard at the minute. It's breaking that top six. You've got to kind of play out by Newcastle now. And I, I think they might get in the top six this season, Newcastle, but you will be surprised if he, if he even didn't because the quality will ultimately like rise to the cream, will rise to the top despite 
the form of like your Chelsea's, your United's um, at the minute. He, he will rise just like Arsenal have done this season. Um, they've finished outside the top four the last three years and, and now look at them because they can buy players every single season. And yeah, Newcastle can do that. They're a bit different, but can Villa break into that top six realistically, even with Emery in charge? Um, but yeah, it was the Villa's first win at home to United since um, none of us were born. Last time they won to that August 95. So there you go. That's already a big win. And obviously they've got United as well uh, in the Cup this week. So that um, keeps them on track. And I think that could be something that a team like Villa could definitely target. It was, and speak on the weekend, though, maybe the FA Cup doesn't have the magic because it does. Because there was, um, I think, it was like first or second round or something this, this weekend. <coughs> Villa and Emery in particular, it's the kind of manager who is really good in like one, he's just like one legged games. Um, he's tactically very good. He's hard to beat. So Villa could be a, a dark horse for a cup. And if they can do United in the league, then they could do them in the Carabao. And that'll be one I'd be tightening for Villa this season because I don't think they're going to pull up any trees in the Premier League, maybe get a top half finish. But really, for the, for the fans, that could be a good run for them. Yeah, I think it could. And, and to be honest, no, I'm, I'm, it sounds daft, but I, if I was going to bat United or Villa to win, it probably would be Villa. And, and that's not because I'm thinking, oh, you know, United are shit and, and all this. I did see United pages all after our first loss in, in 10 games saying we need to save our season in January. Which I, I did enjoy. Sorry, right, I saw some um, other tweets. Don't worry, yeah, ridiculous. Anyway, uh, not that I'm saying we're going to go and smash it, but save our season when we've not lost since the City game when we got slapped. I think it's a little bit over the top. Fickle, but, fickle, um, fickle. Well, yeah, cons- yeah. Anyway, less about United. We're bullshit. Um, I think United will rest midweek. I think it's the first midweek game where United can probably look. And, you know, obviously with the Europa games, we had to, well, we got 15 out of 18 points and finished second. So we had to play strong teams in that. I think uh, Tenag will look and think, you know what, before this, this Fulham game, which is a tough game at the weekend away at Fulham, I think he'll take it as an opportunity to get some minutes in the legs of players that haven't played a lot recently uh, and, and just to rest some players that look jaded. Uh, and a lot of the players at the weekend did look jaded. Whereas on the flip side, Villa have, I don't think, played a midweek game so far this season. Emery will be looking saying, I've got three games before the World Cup. Why wouldn't you just play your best team for three games and then you break? So yeah. I think they'll turn up probably with the same 11 uh, at Old Trafford. And I think United might have, you know, six or seven changes to that 11. So based off that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, and like Jim said, Emery's brilliant at the Cup games. I think if Villa yeah. are going to do anything this season, it's going to win the League Cup. And I think if United are going to drop any competition this season, it's going to be the League Cup. So it's set up nicely for him to get back to back wins against United. A little bit on like rotation that I'd be interested. I'm not actually what's at the tyres this this week in the Carabao. But even as far as the Premier League next year, next week, it'd be interesting to see how many um players from big clubs who obviously will have a lot of um players leaving for Qatar after the World Cup. That the players just don't want to play or they come with some random injury. Because that will happen over the next week, I think. Um well, especially yeah, apparently the South the, Americans, haven't they? Have been asked. Yeah, well, not well especially as the squad's getting announced. We've, we've seen the Brazil squad today. I mean, if you're in that Brazil squad and you've got a game against, I'm just thinking, for example, Anthony or something, he's got a game against Villa in the midweek and he's, he knows in the Brazil squad and he's probably on the peripheral of that Brazil squad too. It's that strong. Would you want to get injured? Like, would, you, would you risk yeah, a yeah. long game in the Carabao? As the player, it's, it's yeah, not yeah. right, really. The managers are going to have right. to manage that. But it'd be interesting to see what happens. 
Yeah, the one I think about that stands out from a selfish standpoint is Silver. Obviously, thirty-eight. If he plays, obviously in the week for whatever reason, like and I said, the has to play against Fulham because we've only got two fit centre halves, and then has to go to Brazil because he's the captain. Yeah. So yeah. I just think last could call. easily could easily get injured. Could it could easily happen? And he's not the type of player who would would sit out either, which would <laughs> would be a shame. But last thing on Aston Villa for going up, I think. Going back to what you were saying regarding saving their season, I think Emre is a very safe pair of hands. And I think that Aston Villa this season, like you said, Jim, almost have to go left to go up next season, if that makes sense. They almost have to solidify the team, get the confidence into players like Coutinho, McGinn, etc., etc. And then next year, really have a go. Having had two windows in the next pre-season. And then that valuable time on the training ground, like... The players that don't go to the World Cup, Emre will be in with them every day. Someone yeah. like Jacob Ramsey, who's a fantastic player. Leon Bailey. Yeah, I, I really like Jacob Ramsey. I think Watkins won't go, Wings won't yeah, go. Yeah, I think Kins don't go in. I genuinely think in a few years, Jacob Ramsey could be in that England side. I like him. 100%. Well, yeah. I think he could do it all. But yeah, credit to Aston Villa in this game. Yeah, I, I think, I think, yeah, sorry, just last thing. I yeah, think. Go for it. We're talking about what can Villa do in terms of, you know, how high can they go? I think in the immediacy, all fans want is a team that they can, you know, be proud of a team that they know is going to turn up and they've not had that at all this season. But the first game with Emery, I'd be really excited if I was a Villa fan, not just with that one-off result, because we see that a lot with a manager bounce against a big team, but just in general, with him being there, the performance that they had on the weekend, you know, it looked like a team that they can definitely get behind and... Uh, like I've said loads of times, it sounds like Emery fan club over here, but I really do think they've got the best man that they possibly could have got if they are even going to push for like the, the Europa conference place. Okay, so we're back. Um, yeah, we're doing higher or low again because even oh, if you don't enjoy listening, although I know you do because we've had compliments about the game, I enjoy playing it. Um, so if you don't know, I'm going to tell you we've got two different stats this week. We've got Premier League appearances and Premier League goals. We've got a list A and a list B in both. And it's a simple game of higher or lower. Uh, whoever gets the most out of Jim and cut accumulatively across the two lists, that's easy for me to say, uh, wins. So, Jim, I think cut went first yes, last week. I did. Would you like list A or list B on the appearances? And you will obviously I'll have, have on goals. I'll have list A. So you want to go first on appearances. So that means you will get list B on goals. So, Jim, we'll go straight into it. Mika Richards is the guy. So maybe you knew Ooh. he was coming. Two, <laughs> 203 Premier League appearances. A lot of injuries. So we've gone from Mika. But what about Mikhail? Mikhail Silvestra. Has he made more or less than 203 Premier League appearances? E.T. himself. Yes. <laughs> shout out. To, whilst Jim's thinking, shout out to Tins who uh, Sylvester pushed into a glasses rack at the Megastar once. When he was trying to get past, rightfully so. Fair enough. I did it as well. Four eye bastard. If you're listening, <laughs> no comment. Um, tough one. This it's tough to think. Two hundred and three is the number, more or less. Yeah, tough there. to think how long Sylvester was in the Premier League. Um, it was like a while, but obviously he wasn't in that first team, was he? Then Meek yeah. had a lot of injuries. Oh. I'm gonna go with. Um, Quick shout out to me, which has got a book out now. Quick plug before um, I, I do my answer. Um, I'm going to go with Mikas Vesta has more appearances. He does. 275. Wow. John United shortly after the treble and uh, left in his ninth year, sold to Arsenal. So, so there we go. A testimonial. 
Well, <laughs> controversial that apparently. Did he get one? There's rumours that he didn't get one because he wanted to keep the money and not donate it to charity. So Fergie let, sold him to Arsenal. So, but that's just allegedly. I'd like to say who said that? No, uh, <laughs> Dong Fangzhou. Okay, so next, 275 for Mikel Sylvest. But Shane Long was definitely onside. Wow. Has he got more or less than 275? Shane Long. Ooh, Shaney. Gee, He's been the championship a bit, bit, hasn't he? No, he's a Mr. Tuffy. They always are. Mr. Tuffy. Oh, yes. um, Shane Long. I feel like he was in the championship for a bit. Nine years of Mikel Sylvest. I'm going to go with lower. No, he's got more, Jim. Oh, yeah. 344 Premier League appearances for Shane. Wow, quite a bit more. He was definitely on side. So we'll do the rest for fun, Jim. <laughs> okay. And Golo Kante, more or less than 344 Premier League appearances. Oh, I'm deep in the less. He is less. 222. Yossi Ben more or less than 222. Yeah, more. Less, 194. He was in the championship a bit. And Bolo's ended, more or less, 194. Bolo's ended. Yeah, more, that's not that many, though. No, less. Borough, Chelsea. Villa as well, I want to say. Mikel Silvestre, so Jim, you got one. So, Cookie. I mean, you've got two lists, so even if Cook gets four here, Jim, you could max out the next round and and Jim uh, Cook could bottle it, so... Let's see. So we'll go straight into it. Angel Rangel, also known as Angel Rangel, Swansea legend. 169 Premier League appearances, but did John Barnes get more or less? This is not my era. But it's not, and it's uh, that crossover era as well. How many has Angel Rangel got? So one, one, six, nine, one, six, John Barnes, more or less? I'll say Barnes has got less. Got more. Fuck off, Barnes. 201 Premier League appearances. But we'll do the rest just for fun. Yeah. Gareth Bale, more or less than 201. More. Less. 166. Jesus. Kenwin Jones, more or less than 166. Oh, God, this is more. Yes, 195. Jonathan Woodgate, more or less than 195. More. 244. And Noanko Kanu, more or less than 244. Less. More. 273. Noanko Kanu. So, Cookie, you've got none. So, it's 1-0 to Jim at the moment. But it's you. You compile the pressure straight back on Jim because it's you first. That Gareth Bale well. one. That Gareth Bale one doesn't feel right at all. 166, yeah. Horrible, one. I, like I feel like it's because made such an impact with, like, all the games. Yeah. Like, all well, almost. 166. Bastard. Didn't play a lot for Southampton. Didn't play a lot for Spurs, actually, was a left-back and then obviously smashed it over a couple of seasons. Back to so. the injuries in. Back to the injuries in, of course. Goals. My Kevin favorite. Morales what a legend oh, of the game Jesus FIFA legend as well for all those early 10s FIFA players yeah, 29 Premier League goals he got but has Christian Eriksen got more or less than 29 Premier League goals oh. Oh, Jim's trying to help you he's telling you to go higher I don't even want to look oh he doesn't want to look at enemy. it he doesn't want to look at it he's the enemy today 29 for 29 Morales. for Morales Eriksen more or less than 29 Less. More. Fuck! I've tried to sell you. 52 for oh. Christian Eriksen. So Cookie's got none, so that means Jim's won, but we'll do the rest for her. Or Jim, do you want to give Cook another go to get the next one right? All right, we'll gamble for the fans. All right, he's gambling. Oh. So Christian Eriksen cooks on 52. Has Callum Wilson scored more or less than 52 Premier League? 
Hawk. This is hard as well. Um, because again, injuries, but he's I'm, trying to help you again. I'm going to say last. He's got more. Oh my God. <laughs> 67. Oh my God. So we'll do the rest for fun. Chicharito the more or less. Injury prone bastard. Well, Chicharito more or less than 67. Less. Yes, 53. Mark Noble more or less than 53. Less. 47. Not a lot less. A lot of penalties as yeah, well. Less Nanny more or less than 47. Less. What a player. You only got 26 Premier League goals. Jim, you've definitely won, but we'll do the rest just say, for fun. It was a good effort, that, as well. Minus the two okay. posts. Tim Cahill, 56, in the odds. But Tim Cahill? We'll stick with Everton. Yeah, Timmy. Timmy. The boxer. Hi, Gary. 56. He's a fighting man. Duncan Ferguson, more or less than 56 oh, Premier League goals. Sticking with no Everton. Idea. Stick it with the no, Oh, I, I like that. I, like that. I actually have no idea how many he's scored, but I'm just going to gamble on less. He's got more. Nah. It's not been a good week for the guessing. It's 68 for Duncan Ferguson. Good Johnson, more or less than 68. It's as cold as ice. On his cider. So going to be close this one, isn't it? Less. It is. There's 13 goal difference, so not a lot really. But yeah, 55 he's got. He lived in many countries. He did. John Carew, more or less than 55 Premier League goals. More. More. Or less, 38. Joshy King, more or less more. than 38. More. So yeah, many. more. 53. Yeah, he's been at so many Prem clubs. And Freddie Canute, more or less than 53. More. West Ham and Spurs, he got less, yes. 43, 10 less. So Jim wins there. He wins 1-0, which isn't very good over four lists, but... Uh, hey, wins listen. titles. Yeah, it's yeah, it's all that matters. It's yeah. all that matters. Jim will tell I'm you. like Spain in 2010. Hello, welcome back, Cousin Podcast listeners. <laughs> Sorry, you had fun playing that game. Connor's did because he won. Um, we're going to talk about a team <laughs> that's been very impressive recently after being not so impressive before that. I mean, I was in the old capital city watching them beat Liverpool the week before, but this week they've beat. Oh, they've only beat Bournemouth on paper, but it's how they beat them. Cook three-one down and late drama with a, a scintillating counter-attack from last week's hero, Cristencio Somerville. I believe that's his name. Stan thinks that's the best name in the league. I'm yes, inclined to inclined to agree. Really no discussion. Um, he scores again because he's the hero yet again and um, yeah Jesse March's boys have, have won late again and it's it's great to see honestly you need to put stock in Jesse Marsh pledge allegiance to the flag because these boys are only going one way they're going they're, they're, I think honestly this squad is so it just epitomises Jesse Marsh from what I've seen him as a coach over the years and he trusts young players in this game and you only have to look at the goal scorers and the players that have been involved in these goals um, Greenwood, Sam Greenwood, he's 20 years old. He scored for Leeds. Uh, and then Somerville is only 21 as well. And then uh, a player, Notto, who actually came from FC Zurich. I had the pleasure of managing on Football Manager. He is only 19 years of age and he got an assist in this game. I think they've got some serious pedigree that will leave in a few years. I think Tyler Adams and Brandon Aronson are doing amazing at the moment for Leeds. I think they're overachieving in every aspect and rightfully so. Bigger clubs are looking at them. They're not looking at Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna who are 
considered the star boys. <laughs> They're considered the star boys of that national team and the faces of that national <laughs> team, but rightfully so. Aronson and uh, Tyler Adams are both smashing it at the minute. They actually went 3-1 down in this game to Bournemouth, who we said for the better of the week are scoring goals in unlikely places. And they're, they're almost a banker nearly every week to get um, a both teams to score because they do score in weird places. And I think, like I said, it's hard not to overreact, but for a man who's under pressure to go 3-1 down at home, all you can see, I remember seeing at halftime, BBC Sports tweeted something like, oh, 3-1 down at halftime, Marsh must be basically shitting it. And then all the replies were, he's got to go, give someone else a chance, he's got to go, he's got to go, whatever. And then obviously they end up winning the way they do. And like I said, they've got some serious players in there that have played in the Champions League and operate at higher levels. And I think, like I said, put stock in Leeds because this has took them two points out of the drop zone, sorry, three points out of the drop zone. And I think in a decent position, pre-Wilkinson. Yes, considering I mean a fortnight ago before that Liverpool game, they were right in that in that relegation zone, and now they're uh, like you say the three points clear and they're sat in twelfth, which is is mad really with how tight it is. But um, that shows how important those those two wins were uh, a six pointer definitely uh, and a seven goal thriller. So fair play to Leeds. Um, I mean three one down at half time, you do well to get anything at all from that game. So. To end up winning the game, you know, it is brilliant. And, and not only to end up winning it, but winning it in last, you know, in, in the 84th minute there was the winning goal is 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 brilliant and indicative of the, the mentality and the, the fight that they're showing, which is, you know, the thing that stood out for me away at Anfield was that this wasn't a team that looked like they'd given up on each other or on the manager. So uh, that in itself is, is a good sign for Leeds because if that happens, then you're almost certain... Certain to go down, and I mean, I mentioned last week as well. I think I do think Leeds will be be fine because I, I mean, I, I said Rodrigo and Bamford, but I think we have Rodrigo scored this weekend. But Bamford I think I, I think as a team, they've got goals in the team, and that's something that I mean, you know, we've seen with Wolves and Forest and and even Leicester at times this season. They're really, really struggling for goals, uh, and, and I don't think Leeds Leeds have, and I don't think they will at all for the rest of the season. So I, I think they'll end up being fine. Uh, really impressed with Adams and, and Aronson again. I, I think they're the two really good players. I'd be surprised if they're there for much longer. But yeah, brilliant win, brilliant three yeah. points. Yeah, but, Jim. But is is it is it an important part for Leeds now? When you, when you spoke about how at half time there was some fans calling for Marsh said and before the Liverpool win, he was he was, was under quite a bit of pressure, and that's what's so impressive about these last two wins is that he's come with massive pressure on his shoulders. With that average age, I think I seen a tweet and like the the team that finished that Bournemouth game, I think the average age was like twenty two and a half or something. It was definitely under twenty three. It's mental. Mm-hmm. With that young team and the potential they've all got, surely they can only get better under Marsh. So is 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 right now an important time for Leeds to kind of yeah they're flirting with relegation a little bit when the results don't go the way, but they've got to stick with the man almost, and they're going to get better next season and then better the season after that. Yeah, yeah, I hundred percent agree with that because. I think that the players have really bought into what Marsh has said, and you can all you can <clears throat> you can tell that they've all bought into what he's saying because look at what happened. Like I said, they were three one down, and they won for they won four three. There's no way you compare that to what happened with Aston Villa, who went out with an absolute whimper, and it was an absolute disgrace the way they stopped playing for Gerrard. And I, I think this is the complete opposite. I think Marsh has gotten bought in. And even if some of the fans aren't bought in, you've got to remember where you come from. You had Bielsa, who played boring, very 
walking football almost at times. And then you've got a guy now who actively plays attacking, expansive football, who will always have a go. One thing you can't say about Jesse Marsh is he will always have a go. And the, the example is that, that look at Anfield, look at this game here, 4 3. And he's not afraid to trust the kids. And like you said, the only way is up for the kids because he's a very good manager at bringing talent through. And they go away to Wolves midweek in the cup. They can rotate there because I think that's just a bit of a dead rubber, really. I think if they get through, they get through. If they don't, they don't. And then a big one to finish before the World Cup, Jim, they've got Spurs away. So let's see if they can carry on with this momentum because like me and Stan said before, regarding Arsenal, momentum is an absolute monster in this league. Okay, welcome back listeners. Change of roles this week. I am on hosting duty for the 11able. Okay, we're going to stick it with a theme. We've just had Jesse March and you've just heard me say you need to pledge allegiance to the flag. So we're linking it in. USA are of course in England's World Cup group this year. But I'm going to take us back in the time machine to 2010 South Africa, the Jabalani days, Stan. We're going back that to that game. And of course, I don't want the United States team. No, no, no. I want the England team. 4-4-2 in this game. And we're going to start with Jim. I was um, doing my Hail Marys and hoping that you wasn't going to say the USA team. So that came out great. Because other than Michael Bradley Cook, I could tell you one player. You um, you belters in here, Jim. Dempsey, (laughs) Altidore, Landon Donovan. Altidore, fucking hell. Right, England team. Against USA, that one all. Yeah, that one all. Okay, well, I've got to go with the most obvious man, the fucking culprit, Robert Green. <laughs> the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> the elephant in the room, indeed. <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, Gerard. Stevie G played in central midfield, so you've had the goalkeeper and Scott. one of the sentiment. He did score, stand correct. Um, I go with uh, Ashley Cole. A mainstay in that England team, of course, Ashley Cole. Uh, JT. JT, right next to him, Stan, correct? So you've had a left back, a centre half, the goalkeeper, and a centre mid. I'll go with Wayne Rooney. Correct, he's up top. One of the two of the 4 4 Gazbaz. He's not Ooh. in this one. Who was Gerard's mate then? I'm going to take a, a, a bit of a risk, maybe. But I know he scored in the knockouts, so I'm going to go with Matthew Upson. You've hit the post there. It's not Matthew Upson. Uh, Heskey, I think, started this game. He did. He played up front with Wayne Rooney. Yeah. What mean? He was playing for Wigan Athletic when he got this call up. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I've never got that one. Um, well, I'll go with Lampard. That's something said, yeah, has it? Yeah, right next to Stevie in that midfield. Okay, now. You bet, I can't believe you didn't say Frankel. Well, Gaz played against... Uh, I didn't think he went with both of them. I thought we'd given up by 2010, but yeah, clearly not. Yeah. Um, so would you like a quick overview of the team? Yes, please. So you've got Rob Green, like I said, 4-4-2. Rob Green you've already got. John Terry, Ashley Cole out of the back four. You've got Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard out of the midfield and Wayne Rooney and Emil Heskey up top. So you're missing a left midfielder, a right midfielder, a right back, and then JT's partner at the back. This is tough. Um, I'm going to go for uh, Theo Walcott. 
Nope. No. It's not Theo. Not in the squad for this game. Not in the squad. So he mustn't... Yeah. Do you have all the subs on the bench? He mustn't have gone. No, he must have gone. He must have been injured. I'm going to go for... Don't think he was in the, t- in, the, in, the, in the team yet. I'm going to go with uh, James Milner. He is. He was playing left midfield. Fucking hell. Just in front of Ashley Cole. Do you know somebody who did play in this game? Because I remember he got blitzed by Altidore, but I think he got subbed on was Jamie Carragher. He did get subbed on, yeah. but he, he didn't Same. start. He's fuck, he, fuck brave. He, he came, he came <laughs> on to JT's partner. He got, he got blitzed by Josie Altidore and I thought, you're fuck you. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Is you? Oh no, I said Carragher. He's not in it. Oh, was that, was that your guess? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, thought yeah. Was, I thought you were just showing off your. Um, oh no, I wasn't. No, 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 I guess. Um, what was the position? We've got centre back, right. We need a centre half, right back, right mid. 2010. That was some obvious ones missing. But, uh, it definitely is. I'm trying to think of football teams. I don't think it, I don't think this is right either. But I'm gonna. Can't, I don't know why I'm not guessing to my like Ferdinand, but something tells me it's too obvious that it's him. I'm just gonna go with Gary Cale. Well, that's a good Incorrect, guess. but it is a good guess. Oh. He came into the fold a little bit after this Euro 2020. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought as much. Uh, I want to say somebody like think injury prone centre half. Glenn Johnson at right back. It is Glenn Isn't Johnson at right back. Yeah. So we'll just shot a right midfielder and then John Terry's centre back partner on the day. All right, I'm just going to go off your clue. It wasn't Ledley King, was it? It was Ledley. He only has one knee and then Carrick did, did come on for him because he's injury prone. Ledley so we're just missing the right midfielder now. Uh, oh, fuck me. Uh, oh, I know it is. He knows who it is. Oh, fuck. I'll yeah. get it right then. Um... Oh, I think I do anyway. It wasn't David. Uh, it wasn't Beckham, surely. It wasn't fucking Beckham. Uh, I can't even think of it. Uh, Owen Argreaves. It wasn't Owen Argreaves. Ah. Uh, the, the, the light that switched in my brain was um, Aaron Lennon. It was Aaron Lennon. Oh, yeah. Aaron Lennon doing like he's on a mission. So, I, why did I think it was a shit that we drew that game? That was a good point, that. It's a good point. It was a good point for us. USA will be kicking themselves and it get all three. But just to recap the team, 4-4-2, Rob Green between the sticks, the main culprit, Glenn Johnson at right back, John Terry, Ledley King, Ashley Cole, Aaron Lennon, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Jimmy Milner, and then two strikers, Wayne Rooney and Emil (laughs) Heskey. That's fucking shite. That's fucking (laughs) class. Okay, welcome back, Cookie Pod listeners. Stan has unfortunately had to go. Donny Osmond rang him in a bit of a fluster on FaceTime. I can't say for legal reasons on the pod why they've they've rung. Stan was very very emphatic about that before he left, wasn't he, Jim? Sounded like an emergency. Sounds to all say service. I do. I don't want to speculate, but maybe, just maybe, Donny's got his cock ring stuck again. But moving on, we're moving. No comment. We're moving on. I'm just speculating. Don't know anything. Wink. <laughs> but in this game, it's of course we can't leave you without talking about Liverpool. Big win away at Spurs that were booed off at halftime. Tottenham Hotspur in this one, which was it'd be a sore one for Conte that because his bond with the fans is it's everything that he's about, really, Jim. And that'll hurt him. That believe it or not, and. 
people can say he wants to go back to Italy, but it's looking ropier and ropier every week for Spurs and they should be thanking the lucky chickens that they beat Marseille last week because it could have been very, very toxic there if they'd have gone to the Europa League. Yeah, they're a bit vulnerable at the minute, aren't they? And um, Conte's obviously done a, a, a good job there since he's took over last season. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I think if they hadn't have beat Marseille, I think if they'd have fell into the Europa League midweek, then we're looking at a situation where maybe after the World Cup he's not there. Is that over-exaggerating? I don't know. Yeah, well, because that's how quickly things can turn and it was a massive result and um, Spurs got one at the end of Heuberg scoring. I actually thought against Liverpool, it was okay. Like um, Weirdly, for the first time in one of these games where it's between two of the top six, as they like to call it, Sky, Spurs have actually looked quite good and maybe was on the front foot for a lot of this game especially in the second half they came out firing and they've done that a lot recently coming from behind against Bournemouth last week um, behind against Marseille uh, midweek and it looked like they was going to do the same but they just couldn't get it over the line and I honestly thought it was maybe unfortunate not to get something from the game truth be told um, Liverpool did some good things I thought Darwin Nunes had a good defensive game weirdly for an attacker but he did a lot of work down the left-hand side where he ended up operating and didn't really give Emerson much room. He was not a good player anyway, let's, let's face it. And um, Salah took his goals absolutely brilliantly. Um, and that was the difference. And Kane took his goal brilliantly. Actually, all three goals were expert finishes. But yeah, for Spurs, I thought, we'll, we'll, we'll go on to it in a second. I'll ask you your, your thoughts, but I thought they could have had a penalty. Um, I thought Dyer made a huge mistake to let the game go to 2-0 so really in the big moments he could have been a lot different result what do you think about that potential penalty Trent obviously um, in, in the back it looks like on Tessignon in the first half yeah I, I, I agree with the commentary I think I think it was more of a it's it's not a shove it's more of a he's, it's more of a tap really he's, he's not shoved him really I think Running at speed as well, it doesn't take a lot to put you on your backside, and I think it's just—I think it's good defending. To be honest with you, I, I genuinely do. I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's good defending from Trent, and he—he he leans in with his arm, and I know it's fine margins when you do stuff like that, but luckily for him, it worked in in this case because there was times where he, he was really erratic in this game, and people are going to think there's an agenda potentially on this podcast regarding Trent when. It literally couldn't be further than the truth because, as an attacking player, he's the best fullback in the world. It's not even close. But obviously, you're a right back. You need to be able to defend. And there was times where he thought he, there was a time, sorry, where he was fouled. Or, sorry, he thought he was fouled, and then he had two goals. Uh, it maybe was Sessegnon, and he ended up just grabbing him in the end, and he gave he gave away a free kick in the end. And I was very surprised at that, but. Again, looking at the stats here, Spurs, five shots on target, Liverpool, six on target, goal attempts, 14 to 13. It was fine margins and potentially you could have said that a draw was a fair result looking at the stats alone, but Eric Dyer gives Mohamed Salah an absolute Christmas present. I know we're only in November, but it's an early Christmas present for him because that, I mean, you still got to score it. Like, come on, but... It's the most dumb thing I've seen in a while from a centre-half who's been playing in this league and has played for the national team many times. I'd, I'm so surprised that... And I'm not his biggest fan, 
And I know he has he has his fans, Eric Dyer, but for me, he's, he's nowhere near some of the centre-backs at the minute. And if he goes to the World Cup, then God help us. Well, we might be calling upon God's name, Cook, because, I mean, the other options aren't too flattering themselves. Um, but yeah, it was a big moment in the game that it gave Liverpool uh, a cushion. It was their first away win all season, which is very surprising for how good they've been the last four or five seasons. So yeah, that massively helps them because second half, um, I thought, other than the some of the counter attacks that Salah Nunes and Firmino were putting together, um, Tottenham were just on top, and that doesn't tend to happen with Conte t- uh, teams in big games. We've seen them against Chelsea where. Chelsea dominated all the ball against United, the same happened. And yeah, he can get his results. But yeah, but it did surprise me to see how the game panned out after Liverpool went ahead, to, after Liverpool went two up. Um, so Tottenham can take something from that. Um, I thought watching the game, I, I think I said it to Stan in the group chat, that Liverpool's midfield in these big games is just, I mean, I spoke about it, not even the big games on the, on the podcast. It was non existent against Spurs. Um, if if you have any physicality in midfield, you're going to have joy against Liverpool, and that's the problem, and that's some, an area that Liverpool need to address. Um, because Hoiberg, Bentoncourt, Bissouma, good players, not technically amazing, but good physical players, fast, strong, will put in a fifty-fifty, and they absolutely dominated for me, and that's worrying. It's not a sustainable way of playing football for Liverpool that you just defend in our half and kind of just seeing out that 2-0 I didn't think anyway and maybe nicely leads us on to cook some developing news that's happened today um, about Fenway Sports Group selling the club because um, obviously they are at the brunt of a lot of criticism as to why of course midfield is in the current state it is it's not just the midfield obviously but this is what we're talking about that does need major reinvestment and um, this will be good news for local fans going forward with them putting the club for sale on it yeah, I mean, it all depends who buys you at the end of the end of the day. Like, you look at Liverpool as, and I'm not saying that Newcastle and City and Chelsea are clubs without morals, but two of the clubs I've just mentioned, the state back. Over the years, the, the scene is a club with a lot of morals. That's my the point I'm trying to make. And for Liverpool to potentially catch up with City and Newcastle and Chelsea in terms of what they've got at the disposal instead of buying to sell. I think that that's, that's the way that they, they keep up. And whether that is a state backing uh, owner or that is a consortium uh, like FSG that comes in. And then, like we said, because their business model is sell big, buy big. And they broke that kind of this summer by going and getting down with Nunez because they sold Mane for so cheap, but they lost Mane at the same time. So... It's, it's hard to say, but they need to invest without losing. And we, you spoke very uh, very well about that midfield. It's all correct what you're saying. They're so thin in that department. Artur has barely kicked the ball for him. That was a ridiculous loan on deadline day. They went out with a whimper on de- deadline day, Liverpool. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, injury prone, never plays. He's literally on there because he's English. Thiago, injury prone. James Milner picks up a lot of injuries because he's, he's older. That's understandable. They've Naby Keita always injured. These these are players that are supposed to be starters for Liverpool, and they spent a lot of money on Naby Keita. Cost sixty million quid for God's sake, and we're talking about how how thin they are in in the midfield. Jordan Henson, another one that's just come to mind. So 
I think that they need to go and get a, a Bellingham in the summer or they need to go and get an out-and-out midfielder that's just got legs, youth and legs, that isn't a, a prodigy and a, an Elliot or a Cavallo. You need someone further along in the development. I don't know what you think. Yeah, definitely. They need a bit of athleticism in there. Um, I think every time... On paper, it's a good midfielder for being your Thiago Elliott. I think they're all great players. Um, Elliott's a young lad who probably doesn't get spoke about enough, really. Um, I was only 19 and he, he's always doing a job for Liverpool, especially this season and uh, towards the back end of last season after his injury. But it's just not strong enough. It's just not physical enough. And in the big games, they're going to be asked to do things that they're not capable of, especially in the in the Premier League. Um, and they're asking for being able to do an awful lot of, of covering up for what is Thiago and Elliot's weakness, I think. And Fabinho this season, unfortunately for them, it's just rather not been available. Or let's be honest, he's, he's not been at the races. He was once the best six, whatever, CDM in the world. And he, he's not even close to what he was playing at in previous seasons, level-wise for him personally. Uh, I think with Liverpool and, and the owner situation, it's maybe a bit of a depressing thought to kind of be a bit no negative but be like realistically if they don't get a state owned if they don't become state owned club or get an American consortium which in recent years in this league haven't been the most football savvy people they're really just there for a quick book aren't they um, well it's sports washing let's, let's, let's say what it is it's sports washing isn't it yeah I mean if they're going to get like owners like Newcastle and City um, it's, it's it won't be good. For, it's not good for anyone, but especially Liverpool. You are right. They are like the people's club, and oh. I don't. Know, I think they was linked with. Um, is it Jim Ratcliffe, the one who was linked to United? I think he was. Yeah, he owns rumored in it. Britain's richest. Yeah, and I think even stuff with that because I believe he's a massive um, conservative, and that's that's something that it won't translate well with the city of Liverpool, and, and that kind of means fan. most of the fans. <laughs> he's tried. To, he tried to buy Chelsea before Todd. Well, he's tried to buy United, and he was he was linked with that. Um, he's obviously in the, in the market for a, for a Premier League club, a big one. He's got a lot of money, but yeah, he's, he's going to be able to find an owner. But right now, for the fans, it'll be a positive thing because I don't think FSG have have done well enough. I mean, somebody's asking me at work who, who isn't a football person, but they were saying like, why are they up for sale? Like, because to the outside eye, to the to the casual Liverpool are doing doing really well, which they are, but. This is like a truly golden period where they've got one of the best managers. They've got maybe the one of their best managers ever, one of the Premier League's best managers ever. They've got one of the best teams in Premier League history. Um, when you look at the talent, they've won everything over the past three or four seasons. But with investment, it should have been more. And ultimately, Klopp has been doing a miraculous job making them compete with City year on year. And you've seen that one little bit of, I don't know, taking the right off the ball or not advancing this season they're just miles behind City now aren't they um, yeah. and, they, and they was when they tried to retain the title whereas teams like City will go and go again um, Chelsea Arsenal United they might have the off season but especially in Chelsea United's case Chelsea you, you'll know Cook being a Chelsea fan you're, you're capable of finishing 8th, ninth, 10th in, in one season like you'll have that mad season but you know next season you'll be there um, I think Liverpool without Klopp could be a team where if they fall out of the top four, they might not be in it again for a, a good few years. Whereas Chelsea United might fall out of the top four one season, might have a really bad year, might not go right manager-wise, signing-wise. But they'll put another 200 million in the bank 
the yeah. season after. Um, True. And, and FSG just haven't been doing that without selling a player, like you've said. So, exactly. hopefully good news for Liverpool um, in that sense. And, yeah, we haven't really spoke about the win, but that is pretty big news that's come out today. Yeah, it's, it's huge news, and it's almost eclipses the win because, obviously, it's so shocking news. They've had the club 12 years now, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I have no horse in this race. Big wink. But... Was the writing on the wall maybe for Liverpool fans in terms of the investment when them and many other Premier League clubs furloughed the staff over the pandemic because we spoke by it on this podcast and said Liverpool, and I think Spurs did it as well. I don't, don't quote me on that, but I think they might have. But Liverpool definitely did it. And I remember thinking, a club like Liverpool should never fucking furlough the staff. That's used for people in emergencies. You're fucking Liverpool. But yeah, to play devil's advocate, obviously I have no opinion in this, but yeah, thoughts. Well, yeah. The, I mean, ultimately, that is that not just a, a shocking thing that a group of people have done whose ultimate goal in owning Liverpool is to make money? Um, and football isn't... Although there's a lot of money thrown around and they get a lot of money and it generated, it's not really one of them things where owners make a lot of return on their investment it's not like an investment a football club um actually most of the owners li- probably lose money and yeah. um, but, the, but maybe, yeah maybe they're quite happy to do so because it's not about putting money into a club in five years down the line taking a lot more out of it it's it, it's about winning trophies and like doing stuff for the city um and Liverpool is a massive part of english football culture and Sometimes it hasn't seemed that FSG have got the best interest at heart, I don't think. Okay, listeners, unfortunately, it is that time of the podcast, the time where we do have to love you and leave you. But this is also the time where I can tell you where to find us when we're not making podcasts. So you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search in. That's the way the cookie crumbles. If you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, you can do so by using the handle cookie podcast followed by the number one. You can find us on TikTok. Just search the handle the cookie podcast. That's T-H-E cookie podcast. And that's been everything this week. That's the way the cookie crumbles. See you later.